Welcome to a new episode of These Go to Eleven. Let's turn it up. Hey everybody, welcome back to These Go to Eleven, an unchurchy conversation about everyday faith. Please make sure you like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast platform. This not only helps us to get our content out there, but also helps us to find out what you, our faithful listeners, think. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Joining me as always, Greg Dutcher. Greg, what's going on, man? Not much, man. Going well. I'm hoping our podcast will record today. Right. <laughs> we had that unfortunate glitch last week. My son's contributions were so powerful. I know. and uh, That the Lord chose to not have them recorded. You know, we, uh, we, we will rectify that. Yes. We will rectify that. We will make sure that uh, we get it all uh in there and it is working properly and we will it will not be like a stranger things episode that may have gone amiss <laughs> yes dude we will uh, and it was good dry run isaac enjoyed it and i thought made some good uh contributions so i'm eager to uh you know revisit that and uh you know maybe it'll be better than what we initially recorded yes yes so looking forward to that but today we are talking about books yes many books Greg, in this office of rich mahogany. Do you oh, and sorry. I actually read? Well, dude, I, I look. I try to pretend that I read, so people think that um, I'm educated. I mean, uh, I can remember the Berenstein Bears. Yes, dude. Uh, Dick and Jane books uh, in the '70s were popular, and uh, I read many a choose-your-own-adventure story in oh uh, yeah sixth grade. Forgot about those. I, I, what about what about Preddy? Did you ever read Frank Peretti? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I love Peretti in mm-hmm. my um, formative years, probably my late teens, early 20s. Because yep. I think um, the first Peretti book, uh, for those of you that may say, what are they talking about? No, it was not an Italian cookbook. Although that sounds good about right now. As we wait for our, That's right. our Italian chicken food. farm to come and my <laughs> cheesesteak. Um uh, they were uh, what this present darkness yep, piercing this, the darkness. Yep, those were the two. Uh, the darkness that, series. Yep. It was wasn't it set like in a town called Ashton. Yes, I remember because that. I think Michael W. Smith actually based oh, his did. song Ashton off of those books. That's probably why I remember it because the odds yep. of me remembering a fictional town in a book I read oh my goodness thirty yeah. plus years ago uh, is unlikely. But yes, I read those uh, as a fairly young person of faith yep. yeah i came to faith when i was uh 16 yep. when i believed in jesus and then probably 18 so i probably read it 88 to 90 yeah. somewhere in that that time frame and um oh yeah i was fired up man yeah. i remember um now that could be a whole other episode <laughs> People went hog wild with some oh, of that yeah. stuff. The, uh, yeah, some of in, the in theology way, and that. Yeah, yeah, in a way that Peretti, I don't think, ever intended. No, no. But I, I, I remember the one thing for all these years that still was very helpful to me as a young uh, Jesus follower was, um, you know, just for those of you that don't know, he he delves into the spiritual realm yeah. in the book, yep. kind of shows angels and demons. And it's, you know, admittedly imaginative. We, we yeah. don't know how it all works. But I remember there were times the angels wanted to rush in to aid, and they needed more. Do you remember, Nathan? They prayer. Prayer cover. Yes, yep. 
And it was just a cool concept yeah. of like, oh, some attempt how prayer works yeah. within the spiritual realm. And I remember really being motivated by that. In, uh, in not, not, I wouldn't call that lifelong yep. uh, motivation, but you know how it is. You read something, you're like, oh, that's a really cool concept, and it stays with you for a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember reading those things. Uh, and then uh, the irony, dude, is, you know, my parents are both, both were were both you know they're they're long retired in their early 80s yes. now, but they were librarians yep and i was not much of a reader as a kid to their great disappointment my brother was a, a bookworm i remember him devouring oh my goodness hardy boys oh yeah yeah he read nancy drew yeah he, no shame right i like hardy boys he was doing nancy drew yep uh, and uh, I read very little. There was just too much good TV to watch. Oh, yeah. Gilligan's Island, Get Smart, Gomer Pyle, <laughs> Hogan's Heroes. That's how I spent much of my time. And then um, much later, honestly, because of my faith, yeah, I got interested in reading and then became an English major in college. Yeah. And, you know, then <laughs> I feel like I've been making up right. for a lot of lost time. Um, what about you as a child? Dude? Yeah, I mean, so I uh, grew up in Christian household. Um, yeah. And so we read a lot of uh, the the stuff. So Frank Preddy did a, a series called the Cooper Kids series. Yes. Um, so read some of those. Uh, that would have been about that time. I did, I did read um, Chronicles of Narnia, obviously. Those yeah. were mainstays in our house. Uh, that we read frequently. Um, I can remember uh, several Christian-type books, although I, I think a lot more were obscure, would be obscure now. I, I don't remember specifically, but I can sure. remember like general storylines and things like that. But as I got older, um, again, reading Preddy, uh, Ted Decker came on, uh, big on the scene, who yep. was kind of, you know... I mean, at that time when I was growing up, that would have been a modern day Preddy, just the way he wrote. Decker, yes, um, yes, Ted Decker. I never read his stuff, but I knew he was a very popular. It was good. He did. He did yeah. some really good stuff. He he wrote one called uh, Blink that was fascinating. It was uh, basically about this guy who could kind of see uh, pieces into the future. Yeah, and uh, he's being hunted and chased in the Middle East, and so that ability to see into the future helped him kind of get out of uh, trouble. You know, it was only like a certain amount of time he could see. Yeah. It's not like he could see 30 years or whatever. It was, you know, the next hour or something like Interesting. that. Um, so that was, uh, that. so he did a lot of great things. Um, three, he wrote a book called Three, which was, yeah. uh, which was fascinating. Um, really, really well done. Uh, enjoyed that one. Um, Dude, if Blink, you know what Blink should have been? Should have been 182 Oh, 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 brother. Brother, see what I did there? (laughs) Trying to forget it already. Brother, it was Blink. See, Blink 182. See, that's a a music band. And I, never mind. Um, Yeah, yeah, keep going, dude. You told me about three, Uh, and then you were going to see something. Yeah, so uh, read read a lot of that, and then um, got into more of the non, or yeah, the nonfiction stuff. C.S. Lewis and R.C. Sproul and, you know, um, a a lot of those, you know, bigger names um, more as an adult that came that came more after college, really. Once I once I finished up high school, I was kind of 
this is going to sound weird. Yeah. I was kind of done reading. Uh, um, <laughs> Dude, so. you and many, many <laughs> high school graduates would say I'm done forever. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't even know that I, I mean, I did read in college obviously, but yeah. just enough to get by. Sure. Um, and certainly nothing for, um, for fun. Uh, it was, it was actually being a teacher and, and stepping into that setting where, um, my passion and heart for education kind of grew and I wanted to learn more and, and do more. So, no, that's um, awesome, dude. That's, that's really where that came about. So can, can I, isn't it funny how reading becomes more ingrained when we tie it to something we're passionate about? Yeah. Yeah. Because my parents, I mean, I think they were shocked. They, they, they high school dude for me, you know, did enough to get by. Yeah. Got into college, which is still amazing. I mean, I don't even remember my SATs because I, <laughs> I wasn't planning to go to college. Sure. Didn't have any interest. That's, that's a whole other story in itself. But um, college, I, I, I became an English major because, well, that's what my father did. And yep. I do like stories. Honestly, if it weren't for Miss Dotson, uh, Parkville High School, probably 1986-87, reading Lord of the Flies. I kind of became an English major because I liked Lord of the Flies. Yeah. But yeah, that was a cool book. I actually was surprised by something I did in high school. Yep. And, um, you know, it launched me into this whole new thing. But So I cared more in college, and my grades reflected that by the time I got to seminary. Yeah. Dude, I cared. You know, I was just so focused. I yeah. cared so much. Yeah. And, you know, you're reading constantly. Yeah. All the time. It was just nothing but reading, it felt like. And, uh, but it, it never felt like much of a chore cause I was enjoying what I was learning. Yeah. So I always say just a quick, you know, uh, you know, public service announcement, right. the more, you know, um, I probably a lot of parents know this, but if you've got younger kids and yeah. you're a little frustrated that they're not showing interest, dude, I just give it time. Yeah. Cause it, yeah. There, there's nothing because reading often just corresponds to interest yeah. and passion. Yeah. Some kids read because they just they like it, and that's sure, cool. Sure, but the kids that aren't reading aren't deficient. Yeah, they're not somehow lacking in right. something, you know. And I I hate that when parents feel that pressure. Oh, I right. just want them reading more in these solid books. If you force it too much, you yeah, can almost can, ensure. Yeah, it can be. A, yeah. My parents, I knew my mother. She would register her disappointment sometimes, but they never really forced it. Yeah, for which I'm glad. Yeah, because when I discovered the love of books on my own, it was great. And it was in college, dude, that I started. Uh, I, I credit it to Stephen King. Yeah, he's the only yeah. author I really knew about. I read a couple of his books. I remember, dude, being a Towson in the library. Yeah, skipping class to finish it. <laughs> nice. So I'm not nice. sure my parents would have liked the value of the dollar going for to that kind of education. Right. But I just I can't put this book down. Yeah, uh, and then that opened up my interest in some other fiction as well. But yeah, yeah, everybody gets there, and uh, you know, for those of you listening today, I know Nathan and I are going to kick around just a few of the things we've been reading and yep. themes, uh, things that you know stood out to us, and hopefully they'll you know maybe uh, some of you would say, oh, I'm going to check that out, yeah. or I'm going to go back and read that, or that makes me want to read this other thing yep. that they didn't even mention. That's I think our goal. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and again, I, I love how you said that because, uh, you know, it wasn't, the thing is a lot of times we will associate intelligence with reading and things like that. Yeah. I was always a very smart kid. Yeah. Uh, but 
the the concept of reading like we could have a discussion right yeah. you know i mean even even if you knew me then like as an adult you know if you were to tell me and talk to me about things that you were reading yeah i could pick up on some of those things and yeah. we could have a discussion about sure. it i wouldn't and i mean that's how i survived uh most of high school into into college it yeah. wasn't it wasn't through reading every little piece. It was picking up on what others read and, and their observations and being able to contribute my own thoughts yes. based on being able to think intelligently about things. Yes. You know, and, and I think that's something that we we sometimes undervalue and underestimate is, yeah. you know, I, I oftentimes, when I'm in the classroom, if I'm talking with my students, like, dude, there, there is no one who can possibly know everything about every topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that I've even more than you have cut news out of my life. Yeah. Virtually know nothing about what's going on. So when students bring something up, hey, Mr. Bell, have you heard about this or what are your thoughts on this? It's like, I, I really don't know. Talk to me about it. Like, right, what, right. Did, what did you read? Tell me about this, you know, and, and based off that, you know, if I feel like, yeah, I can I can form a, you know, well thought out opinion on it. We'll talk about it. Or, you know, hey, I, I'm really not sure. Let me do a little bit more research, and uh, and then I'll get back to you on it. That's good. So That's good. Yeah, I think if you can get to a theme, um, an idea, mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that what everything leads you to? Right. It could be a, a lighthearted beach read, you know, a Patterson book you're reading on the yeah. beach. Fiction. What ideas yeah. did that kind of put in your head? What things are you thinking about? Well... The nature of betrayal, yeah, or uh, the fear of death. Okay, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Your your mind was informed by the story, or the essay, or the nonfiction systematic theology. Yep. But at the end of the day, there's some idea clanging around in your skull, right? And you, to be able to share that with somebody, whether you're an avid reader or not, that's what you're trying to get to. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. That. agreed. So, Greg. Let's go ahead and talk about some of the things that we've been reading. Let's uh, let's start with a piece of fiction yeah. that you've been enjoying. Yeah, dude. Uh, I just finished uh, Stephen King's newest. It's called Fairy Tale. Okay. And uh, it's funny, dude. Of the fifty plus King books I've read, I'm gonna put this one towards the bottom. Okay. A lot of people loved it. Not the very bottom. Sure. But maybe the the bottom third. Yep. Like I said, it's what I've said before about Denzel. Mm-hmm. You, you, Denzel, you take a movie like Glory, which is a great movie. Yes. And he's great in that movie. Yes. That's the A++. And then you've got um, a movie that he's in like The Equalizer 2, <laughs> which is a very poor movie. Yeah. Made better by his very good performance. Yes. It's like... Now, he's probably not going to get much recognition f- for that performance. Right. But, I mean, he took lemons and made them lemonade. Yeah. Because he's always good. Yes. I just think he's that rare talent. Everything he does, he, he's such an exceptionally skillful actor. Yeah. That's how I feel about King. Yep. Um, I'm always interested when I'm reading it. He does He does people so well. friend of mine, Todd, um, who worked with me at my former church, had a great quote. He said, sometimes you're reading King and he does real life so well, he'll just describe the routine of the, of a main character, uh, his daily routine. And it's so vivid and like, Oh yeah, yeah. I can picture it. I can picture the, 
the, the, the, the what he's eating. I can picture how he's yeah. feeling. I can picture the, the cycle of his life that sometimes, and I thought Todd had a, a good point. He said, you almost get a little disappointed when it gets to the thing. Yeah. Like, oh, I was enjoying this. Now, you, right. you've got to tell a story. There's got to be rising action and yep. a crisis and a conflict and a resolution and all that. That's in anything. But um, so I enjoyed it. Yeah. What I would say on this, it was a classic first half, really, really enjoyed. Mm. Um, and then that gets to the thing and a little beyond. The second half, he sets it. I mean, you can kind of tell. It is like a fairy tale kingdom. Okay. Um, and I don't want to give too much away for somebody that might want to read it. I've read online. Some people love it and say, oh, this is his best. I thought it was far from his best. Okay. Uh, not even close. So I was a little disappointed with the ending um, and really the whole second half. So I'd probably give it, because I'd give the first half, his main character is terrific. Mm -hmm. He's a 17-year-old teenager. Now he's writing retrospective, retrospectively. He's probably... 30 plus when he's okay. writing. Okay. Um, so he's describing himself. And his mother has died in a very tragic way. His father's dealing with alcoholism. I mean, he nails that mm -hmm. stuff. Like, you're just so locked into the character that I give him an A plus on that. Yeah. The, what plays out in the fairy tale portion of the story. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mid, as my yeah. kids would say. Um, not super memorable, not super compelling. So in the sum total, I give it like a C. Okay. Um, Let me ask you. But it, was, I, it was fun. I don't think I've asked you this before, um, talking about King rankings. If you were going to choose one, mm. so this is, you know, every single King book is out of print. Uh, you know, you, you get to choose one that you would read yeah. for the rest of your life. What would that be? For the rest of my life? Yeah. Um, dude, it would probably be the novel It. Okay. I just thought it was brilliant. So even above The Shining? Yeah, even above okay. The Shining, which I loved. I thought The Shining is his kind of king at his life. And that was only his third book. It's it's That, to me, is nearly a near-perfect novel. Mm -hmm. um, the, the character. But it it is a little clunkier, but I'll tell you why. What he does with the Losers Club, mm -hmm. this group of seven, and, you know, it's like, stinking a thousand plus pages right it's a ridiculous right. length of a book but it does allow him to create characters i was genuinely sad to leave those characters mm. and leaving them dude it's almost like i'm leaving 14 characters because he told the story um 30 years apart yeah, uh, yeah. so you've got uh, half of the book is when they're 11 half of the book is when they're you know well, I think 27 years, about 38, almost yeah, near 40. Yeah. So you got to know really them in detail in these ways. So th that's why I love it. I mean, the story is cool. Pennywise is a great threat. He's a great villain, very suspenseful, very intense. Um, but it was probably uh, my favorite. And of course, you know what I'm going to do, dude, when I'm done this podcast. Oh, wait a minute. Why didn't I mention <laughs> right. so and so? And there's right. so many near runner ups, but. I don't know. That one just spoke to me. Yeah. I was genuinely moved by it. And uh, yeah, so this fairy tale one, hey, entertaining read the two or three weeks I went through it. Um, yeah, I had a couple of chuckles, a couple of moments. Oh, that's cool. And, eh, I yeah. probably, six months from now, dude, if you ask me to remember it, I won't be able to give much detail. Fair enough. Yeah. So that, that nice. was mine. What about you? Yeah. So I, um, I've got, I've actually been reading a ton of fiction lately. Um, 
So I started going through and reading through the Witcher series. Oh, yeah. Uh, very Never read good it, books. but super popular books. Yeah, super. I mean, popular books, comic books, yeah. video games. Netflix has just uh, done their series, and they're doing a bunch of spinoffs with that. Uh, the the books fascinate me because the the language is there, but what's interesting is the the, the sexual content that's in the show yeah. is not as prevalent, at least in the first one. Okay. Um. So the the series, Netflix series, is based. Uh, kind of on the first two uh, books, yeah, and um, I don't, I, I don't see it as much. It's talked about, but not graphically, yeah. Um, and so I've, I've actually been enjoying it. The language doesn't bother me. It's, it's cool fantasy, high fantasy story. Yeah. I enjoy that stuff. So I've really been enjoying that. Um, been reading a couple Star Wars books, uh, Force Unleashed and Force Unleashed Two. And I've just been enjoying uh, the character in that. You see some of characters that we're already familiar with. It takes place in between uh, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. Oh, cool! So it's it's kind of it, it paints a picture of a uh, of a super uh, Jedi. This is uh, Darth Vader's secret apprentice. Yeah. And uh, so he, you know, Vader gets to pour all of his training into him, and so. You know, this is just um, someone who's at their peak and the language that's used and the way it's described is just, it's fascinating. You know, it's not going to win any awards or anything like that, but it's just, you know, fun book. And dumb question, dude. You yeah. can tell me. I know this from my, my oldest son, Ben. Uh, all that stuff is is canon, correct? So, Force no. Unleashed, uh, it, it was talked about being canon, yeah. but I don't think... Uh, I know Lucas talked about it, but I think uh, Disney kind of took over everything yeah. and did not do that. Okay, so that you're answering an important question, dude. Since Lucas sold Star Wars for yeah. wasn't it like four billion dollars, oh, yeah. dude, he could he could probably maybe get by the rest of his life without working at Mickey D's. I'm guessing. I I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, four billion doesn't go yeah, as far as it, it used go- to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, after taxes, dude, it's only like two point three billion. Right, you know? right. I mean, it's uh, yeah, after taxes. <laughs> But uh, so there was a time I imagine Lucas was the arbiter of all that was canon. Yes. And then it defaults now to Disney or yes. whatever committee yeah. executive steering group yeah. they have. So that's so cool. there's somebody or some group yeah. that that's 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 Jedi power right there that decides yeah. which projects which projects get are yeah, canonized. Yep. That's because here's what I know about Star Wars. Dude. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy it. Yep. You know far more about that. You know what Star Wars is to you, King is to me, right? So yeah, we, we yeah. educate each other. You know, kind of, kind of going back and forth. Yeah. But Ben has told me, my son, that uh, it's such a multi-layered universe. Oh, it, even when Lucas was in charge of the whole thing, yeah. it was it was extremely multi-layered because even when Lucas was in charge, there was only a handful of things, if that, uh, less than a handful of things that outside of the movies yeah. became canon. Wow. And so it really just, you know, people wrote volumes on these things. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you look at when Return of the Jedi ended versus even when you had the beginning of The Phantom Menace in, yeah. uh, what was that, 99? Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's uh, 18 years yeah, that's right. 18, that's 18 right. years. Yeah, uh, or uh, 16. 16. Yeah, 83 to 99, yeah. right. So 16 years, uh, volumes were written on these things. Wow. And like I said, less than a handful yeah. were actually 
put out there and and canonized. Um, Interesting. One of the ones that was uh, Shadows of the Empire. I've heard of it. Um, so very popular book. Introduced a really cool character uh, called Dash Rendar. Uh, he's he's in there. It takes place in between uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So you've got that segment, like what is Luke doing to prep in going to get Han? Oh yeah. Um, and so this this kind of character, this bounty hunter character, Dash Rendar comes in and kind of fills that position oh, in the interim. Very cool. I see that. Um, yeah. So. But that was uh, that's one of the few that that Lucas said, yeah, this is good enough that th- you can read this, and yeah. this is what happened. So was was Rogue One based on any writing? I know it's the, it, it's yeah, it, it pivots on that one reference yeah. in New Hope. Oh yeah, there there were there were definitely things written about the the Rogue One squadron yeah. and, and what they did, and um, you know the Death Star plans and all of that stuff. Um, Disney just brought that to life and again i i'm not as familiar with um those particular ones like there there are certain series that i read uh growing up but uh but yeah there there were there was stuff written on that and and stuff written too about how how were they acquired and things like that so you know lucas would give rights for certain people to write certain things yeah um, other people would write fan fiction. Fan fiction, sure. Um, you know, and, and so which can be really good. Oh yeah, I mean, there's no, a lot there's of good definitely, fan yeah, there's, I mean, there's definitely some stuff. people who it's, it's the wild west right. of literature. Right? Yeah, um, it's yeah. funny, dude. I'll, I'll throw in a really quick reference here. I uh, I don't know if I've said this, but you know, I'm, I'm on this podcast. So I've mentioned it, but I'm working on an MFA. Yeah, in yep. writing up at Wilkes University, low residency. I'm gone a week in January, a week in June. Thank you, Lisa, for letting me use my vacation time. <laughs> And then the courses are largely asynchronous online yep. in between. So, you know, each residency counts as a course and then two classes. So it's nine credits yeah. uh, a semester. And I'll get a, Lord willing, a Master of Arts in Writing and then a, a an MFA. So I've had some fun. I just realized for an assignment I just had to do, we had to write a, uh, it wasn't, it was a thousand word uh, story. Mm-hmm. And uh, the professor wanted us to focus on, omniscient narration okay where the 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 parameters of the assignment were uh the characters can't know uh what the other characters are thinking or intending to do okay yep uh but you have to let the reader know you know because you're the omniscient narrator yeah so i had some fun with it uh and i thought what the heck so really they don't know it probably unless they're stephen king fans uh, it's fan fiction because in my mind I set it in the broader story of the stand. Oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah. And I have a reference in there that it's basically two guys that are walking to this this white cottage um, to yep. accomplish something, and uh, basically each guy is planning to kill the other before, okay. before they get there. But they're talking about things like, oh, I miss fresh lemonade, yeah, miss cold beer, and all this stuff. And I get one reference in there that, yeah, they heard rumors that <clears throat> people, the few survivors were assembling either in Boulder or Las Vegas. Yeah. And uh, if you're a King fan and you're a nerd like I am, you know that's a, a reference. But uh, just to let everybody know, Stephen King has not authorized me right. to write <laughs> that. Uh, I'll right. write him and, and I'm sure he'll get back to me. Oh, quickly. yeah, you know, um, tomorrow. <clears throat> yeah, and um, so it is fascinating because when, when a work inspires yes. a large readership the way Star Wars has. Oh, yeah. 
it's the Wild West, there's probably probably some really good stuff out there. Yeah. And some stuff that's crap. Oh, yeah. You I know, mean, it's just the... Well, that's the... Na- that's why, you know, that's why if you think about how many... Let, let's look at the overall landscape of, of books being written in general, right? Yeah. Um, it's the same thing, right? You have you have thousands of books being submitted. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I would I would think daily. Yeah, um, you know, worldwide, if not more. Oh, of course. And so, within uh, a few moments, a an agent looks through all of those yep. and decides, all right, what am I going to pass on to my publisher? Yep. And you and know, it's a very small yeah, sample. Uh, yeah, whatever you think, like whatever hits. Look at the number of books that hits the shelves. Yeah. Every week, it's yep. it's really compared to what gets submitted. Oh, very small percentage. Yeah. Lucas just took that within his microcosm of Star Wars yeah. and was like, "Yeah, I've got these authors that I trust to write books for me. Yeah. They're the authorized writers. Again, not that their stuff is canonized, yeah. but these are the authorized uh, fan fiction writers. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. they're the ones that are going to tell the story and do a good job of it. Uh, Timothy Zahn." Is is one Sean Williams is another not John Williams Sean Williams yes um, John's good with the music though. he's good with the music yes um, and so you know being being able to to say okay all this stuff that is there and submitted and with you know the the rising of the internet and all that stuff so much and he's just said you know these are the pieces that uh, are approved and these are the pieces that actually fit within the narrative within the canon that i've written yeah um and again who knows what uh disney will do and uh what they'll allow you know as time goes by and all of that stuff but um i enjoyed the force unleashed one and two i thought they were good books i sort of understand why they're not canonized yeah but at the same time i really wish they were because yeah. they're really cool that's cool Oh, so. that's all. That's fun, dude. Yeah. yeah, we're both reading. Yeah, just that's what you call your your kind of right your fun yeah. junk food. I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm not looking for something that yeah. is, uh, you know, the the great American novel or uh, anything. Um, very cool, dude. I have yep. be, <clears throat> because I have um, I'm in this program. Gotten more interested in paying attention to books I was supposed to read in high school and college. Oh, okay. So I did, dude, knowing we were going to do this yeah. uh, for a while now. I finally finished. I've never read Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath. Yep. I finished that one. Um, and then I just finished by listening on Audible yeah. to Jake Gyllenhaal read um, The Great Gatsby. Nice. Yeah, which I think I read in high school. Yep. Um and real quick, dude, a few standouts on that. I, I'm not trying to sound all sophisticated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought, well, we're gonna do a book podcast. These are some books I've wanted to yeah. look at through adult eyes. Yep. Um they're both excellent. It's interesting. Um I'm not sure why, but I, I even learned this my uh, during my residency at Wilkes, Mike Lennon, uh, who's a brilliant um uh, writer and uh, scholar, just encyclopedic knowledge. You could ask him about any author, and he can he could tell you about his influences, his works, etc. And I asked him, I said, "What is considered like the perfect? What what book is considered the perfect novel?" Yeah. And he said, "Oh, that's easy, Gatsby." I said, "Really? Huh? I don't remember liking it much." Yeah. Um, and he said, "Yeah, most, and it's not very long." No, uh, no, it's, it's, re- it's yeah, not it's really not you yeah. know long novel. And I, like I said, it took me like two or three days just driving back and forth to listen to it yeah 
Um, so, you know, I know it's not quite the same. That's as back and it. forth to Towson, not the church. Yes. Yeah. The church I would probably need since I'm five minutes away. Yeah. Me driving to Towson 40 minutes. I have some time. Um, one, Gyllenhaal, mm-hmm. uh, great reader. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause you know, these guys that do these, these book readings where they, they adopt different voices. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. He really, um, you know, you, you see what a talent he is. So I enjoyed listening to him read it. I was really locked in. Um, and I, the, I'll tell you what, what stood out to me on that one, dude, was it, it's it's more about the narrator, Nick Carraway, in my opinion, than it is even Gatsby. Mm. It's almost like, um, and I'm learning all about these narrative shifts and how a narrator can kind of almost throw their voice. Yeah. And I think it's a little bit of a trick pony the way, I don't want to give it away, but the ending... You know, because Nick Carraway, his friend, is the guy telling the story, played in the movie by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. And DiCaprio, of course, plays Gatsby in in the the recent uh, movie they did. And they changed a few things. But, um, yeah, I I don't know. It didn't grab me. Yeah. Like, uh, but I would say at the end, I'll just say this. The concept of an unreliable narrator Mm-hmm. definitely comes out in Gatsby. Okay. And it makes for a fascinating read when you get to the end. Huh. So that piques some some curiosity for anybody that wants to look at it. Yeah. Um, definitely it shows to me the emptiness of the roaring 20s. Yeah. He wrote it in 25. Yeah. I think it's set in 22, 23. Um, you know, and it's just, you know, the, the decadence, uh, the emptiness yep. of just money, wealth, fun privilege it shines through that book so yeah. there's some really good themes like for you know somebody serious about their faith to, to think about the portrayal of humanity yeah apart from a work of redemption but i actually enjoyed steinbeck's the grapes of wrath more depressing oh yeah um set a decade later set in the 30s really interesting left in the great depression yeah so it's interesting to read them both yeah um and you know the dust bowl oklahoma the the Jode family moves out west to California, and uh, again, it just from it, to me, it just screamed the depravity of man. Yeah, uh, how many um, people's lives were considered insignificant? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the way people were taken advantage of. They get out to California, uh, find out their hopes aren't quite realized as you would, and it's a it's a hard story. Typical Steinbeck. It really shows the the value of family yep. and sometimes family's all you got yep. in a world that's cruel and uncaring. Um, so it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's kind of cool to read books when you're like, don't have to read them yeah. because you're in 11th grade or right. a freshman in college. Uh, and so it got me interested to want to read some more. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm going to do the same with Hemingway, Dickens, okay. some of yep. the stuff that we were forced to read. Yeah. Back in the day. And just kind of look at them with new eyes yeah. and, uh, and, and see. So there. That's the moment in the podcast where I try to sound sophisticated. Nice. Uh, but yeah, I'll be going back to King soon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to my Big Mac and fries after leaving my caviar and uh, and uh, fancy salad. That's great. Um, yeah. My my higher reading uh, has been uh, diving into Tolkien. Um, oh, yeah. I try to read Tolkien uh, a couple times every couple years. So swinging back into that, um, you know, just uh, the, the mainstay is Hobbit than the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but also um, I've added the Silmarillion in there oh, as yeah. a regular. 
Um, you know, I always forget, dude, in this room, you love, I mean, this is your oh, yeah. fantasy. Yeah. That is your jam. I mean, yeah. You, you really, yeah, which is great. And it's funny because, uh, I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy science fiction, so I, I really do dig on science fiction. Uh, but but yeah, fantasy is is probably even more than um, than science fiction. Yeah. Probably more for me. Yeah. Um, and especially, I mean, just Tolkien's work with all of that fantasy stuff. I mean, anything that we know of today as modern, yeah. Anything we we think of today as fantasy. So anything that has to do Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. uh, J.K. Rowling yeah. with uh, Harry Potter. Any of that stuff owes its birth to Lord of the Rings. I mean, the I noticed, dude, Game of Thrones. You didn't mention Bill and Ted's Excellent yeah. Adventure. <laughs> they never went back to see Tolkien. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that might harken more to a modern odyssey that's right. of idiocy. Um, dude, I love it, and I've read some Tolkien. Yeah. Uh, fantasy isn't quite... Although, I shouldn't say that, because mm-hmm. sometimes I've read, boy, that was really yeah. good. But... Um, no, and Tolkien, you know, it's it, it's not light reading by no. any, by, yeah. by by any stretch. Um, but yeah, what I'm fascinated to, I have to say, from a writing perspective, how do guys like that create oh, those yeah. worlds that are so intricate yeah. and elaborate, and somehow like hold it all together? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and dude, it wasn't like they had. Uh, no, they, they uh, I'm looking at your computer, MacBook. Yeah. <laughs> you know where they go. Oh, let me pull up, store a little information here. Right. Pull this from uh, this article. That I mean, they they were literally just making it up, yeah. storing it, preserving it, yeah. and connecting it yeah. all. Well, and for for Tolkien, it all started with his love of languages. It had. Yeah. I mean, he back then you had to be somewhat of a storyteller, right? I mean, we yeah. our our modern forms of entertainment. You know, you have you have the radio. Television yeah. is just uh, you know, television and cinema are, are budding things mm-hmm. at this point. But uh, this is you, you got together and you would tell stories. Yeah. You know, I mean, our our modern concept of entertainment is really, I mean, it's it's new. It's very new historically. Um, I think yeah. that's a great point. You know, and so that's what these guys would do. Their Inklings Club, right? Mm-hmm. Lewis, Tolkien, and and all these people. They would get together. Yeah. And they would they would tell their stories. Yeah. They would read their stories, and for Tolkien in particular, it was just it was his love of languages, his creating yeah. a language. And huh, I wonder what kind of creature would sound like this and talk like this. Yeah. And, you know, we we think of the basic. You know, if you think of Tolkien and you think of you know Elvish, but he he creates languages for each of I, his races, dude, and it's mind blowing. Yeah, Tim, it's mind blowing. Uh, the level of intricacy and. I mean, just keeping track of, you're right, the, the various uh, uh, species yeah. within the world, yeah. right? And even uh, watching a little bit of the, uh, uh, what's the thing on Amazon? The Rings of Power. Yeah, the Rings of Power, yeah. right? Where aren't they Harfoots? Yeah. Which are related to hobbits, but almost a pre- yeah. It, I don't know. The, the Rings of Power thing is a little weird. Because I know, because it it's not canon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're 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 pre hobbits. That's yes. the best way to think about it. Yeah, yeah, they're almost pre evolutionary hobbits. Yeah. The uh, the Harfoots, but when you, you know, oh my goodness, the orcs and the elves. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just fascinating, and they have richly textured characters yeah. among them. And you see why C.S. Lewis paid him, you know, such uh, oh yeah, you know, so many tributes. High compliment, uh, which is funny because he. <laughs> He didn't think much of Lewis's work. Oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> well, the world seems to have disagreed, yeah, right? That's yeah. where you say, hey, you know, they meet with a, hey, uh, you know, Tolkien, 
the world disagreed with right. me on that uh, because uh, yeah, I had this thing rocking. Um, I love that. Well, dude, to go back to King quickly, yeah, I won't yeah. linger on this. If you ever want to take a stab at one based on that, I realize fairy tale sort of okay he does it but the better one to me hands down is uh the one he wrote with peter straub the talisman i've uh, heard of that yeah one. enjoyed that book to no end uh it is it's 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 a magical book quite literally it's a well how jack sawyer i think is 12 king writes children really well mm. um and that one starts in this world it ends up kind of goes back and forth in a world he calls the territories and uh the story is really cool it's an adventure i just added it to my audible oh good good dude and just yeah he and peter straub wrote that together 1984 28 hours it's a long one yeah it's <laughs> it, dude uh, but i'll tell you i think you will enjoy it yeah yeah you'll just enjoy it you'll meet speedy parker and you'll meet some really cool characters in it um but if you're going to take a stab at king yeah um or the dark tower which yeah, is similar. I, I've heard I've heard mixed reviews on the way it ended, though. Yeah, um, in some ways, those first four books, mm-hmm. especially. Uh, oh my goodness! Um, I think there were seven total. Actually, eight. I think he went back and squeezed one in between, which was quite the Wizard and the Glass, which was okay. quite good. Um, but yeah, his that third and fourth book in that series is some of the best writing I've ever read the story nice. was so tight it was so good basically dude if the fan base had not been so toxic yeah i this is my theory i think um king had an accident you know almost died in 2000 yeah yeah i remember uh, that he had the first four books done and i honestly do this is my guess i think he just wanted to get these things done yeah and get the fan base off his back so the last three i didn't think they were as bad as some people do mm-hmm. they there is a noticeable drop off in quality okay from those first uh four there's a segment dude nathan bartlebot uh, and i talked about this once uh blame the mono yeah where roland uh DeShane and his his crew are riding blame the mono this train it's like a monorail and dude the the thing is is sentient okay and it's chilling yeah and it's some of the coolest storytelling i've ever read nice um and i i think you would enjoy it but if you want a a singular book yeah i would say the talisman Talisman. is well worth yeah then they wrote a sequel to it uh some years later together and i i think the plan was to write uh and the sequel is called black house and it was good not as good not even close but I enjoyed it. Yeah. And then the, uh, I think they had a third one. Oh, okay. In mind, Peter Straub just passed away this year. Oh, uh, okay. He's, he's a UK writer that became good friends with King, and, and they worked on these projects. And some people theorize that King will still write it mm-hmm. uh, himself. I don't know, but the the Talisman might be one that yeah. you want to go back and, and pick up. No, like I said, I've I've got it on my Audible, so I will. Yeah, twenty eight hours. That. It's yeah. funny. When I said, yeah, that sounds about right. It is. Uh, it is a sizable book. Dude, of course we want to talk about because we we don't want people saying, "Hey, I thought these guys were Christians." That's right. They're talking about all these pagan. <laughs> it's like you're darn right we are. But there's some other great stuff that yeah. you and I were just talking about before the podcast. Yeah, I, I, one of the writers that I go back to year after year is is Lewis. Oh yeah, um, yeah, he's a pretty good choice, dude. Yeah, I mean, just mere Christianity, abolition of man, uh, problem with pain. A Grief Observed, any one of these, pick one and start yep. reading it. You will not go wrong. Um, 
I uh, there was a while actually where every year I was reading Mere Christianity for uh, probably about a decade. Yeah. Um, and I just every year I would go back and I would reread it. Um, oh, what a great book! And the uh, same thing with um, uh, oh, what is what is that other one uh, that he did with uh, uh, the Great Divorce? Yeah. That was the other one that I would go back and two very different books, but yeah, I the Great think, Divorce is the bus ride. Yep, the yeah. bus ride. Yeah, um, heaven hell. I I think a lot of people. Um, I I think Lewis was. I would agree. I, I think Lewis was more of a universalist. Um, I think he's. I think he's got a lot of that in his writing. Yeah. I I think a lot of people point to this book. Yeah. As as his universalist, I think that's a little unfair because in the book. He mentions at the very beginning, let's suppose this happens. Right. And he takes us on this journey. Yeah. Uh, from from hell into heaven. Right. What if what if hell wasn't the last stop? Right. What if what if there was one more stop yeah. on this journey? Yeah. Um, and again, I, I think in his personal uh, writings and things like that, uh, he, he explores more of his universalism yeah. views. Yeah, he's influenced but, by George MacDonald, and MacDonald, yeah. I believe, is a character yes. in, in that book who yep. definitely rolled that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've talked, dude, about Lewis before, and we yeah. probably do. It'd be great to do another podcast on Lewis. Oh, I think so, and yeah. just his thought world. We could do that as a series sometime, dude, because it's so fascinating. And what do we always say, dude? Oh, I do, we've when, talked, when Lewis is on, he's, he's great. <laughs> when he's off, he's off. Yeah. You know, and I always say it's... Um, uh, some of his thoughts on the atonement to me uh, of Jesus are very disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I remind myself, um, he's a flawed man. Yeah. The other thing, too, is he was not, a, he wasn't ever, never claimed to be a trained theologian. Right. Oh, yeah. He, he was a medieval literature yeah. expert. Yeah. I mean, this is what his training was. And he even says that in Mere Christianity. Yeah. I mean, he he tells you flat out, like, if if you want to know more about these things, go talk with your pastor. Yeah, he says, talk and, to your minister. Yeah. yeah. And he, um, so I do think that's important to keep in mind. Yeah. I always say to people when they rested, hey, read it. Screwtape Letters, dude. Oh, yeah. We've talked about that brilliant oh, my book. Yeah. Just an incredible book. Is Again, I'm always fascinated by people. It's really a a creative means of describing humanity yeah. and our pitfalls. Yep. Uh, and again, dude, the reason I'm always so high on King as a popular writer is because I just think he gets people well. Yes. I'll tell you this, dude, in fairy tale, one one quick thing, it it it, it doesn't give it away. He contemplates a character, of the, really the main character of a story, and I won't say it because it comes near the end, but he he's a good guy that you root for. Yeah. He's flawed. Oh, yeah. And it comes out very clearly at the end. And he, the character himself, is in a bit of almost a, a state of angst. Yeah. Almost an existential crisis of sorts because he's trying to reconcile his nature yeah. with what he's being praised for accomplishing. It's just good. Yeah. I'm like, and again, I'm not saying King is going to the Bible to get... He's just a good observer of people. Right. And he gets it. I think Lewis, yes. brilliant yes. observer of people. Yeah. And our pitfalls and our struggles. Um, and dude, he himself, to me, the most fascinating thing is, you know, he he said he's on record of saying he's never enjoyed the company of small children. Right. <laughs> and he writes these I know. timeless. Seven. 
seven classic children's books that most Christian families and many non-Christian families have yeah. in their homes in beautiful yep. cases and all seven volumes. And um, yeah. so here's a dude that's, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really like kids that right. much. Uh, but boy, so I'm fascinated by that. Yeah. These flawed people that understand people well. One of the things that that's fascinating about Lewis too is he will write about the way we are supposed to be in yeah. Christ. Yeah. While fully acknowledging that's not who he is and how he is. Yes. You know, yeah. and and I find that fascinating that yeah. he's very open and honest about that. Like yeah, I know that this is how I'm supposed to be, but guess yeah. what? I'm not there. Oh, and dude, he was so um forward thinking. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, the stuff he wrote on sexuality, sexual ethics in stuffy Great Britain nineteen forties. Yeah. Way ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, you know, not that he could have anticipated where things stand today necessarily, but he was he was forward thinking. Yeah. Uh and I'm I'm fascinated uh by it. So uh you mentioned the great divorce. Yep. Uh you mentioned mere Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. Worth its weight in gold. Yeah. I'm doing something similar, dude. I, I told you. Um I, I I'm not really reading a new Christian book right now. It's a first. I'm normally always reading well, I'm reading commentaries on Mark's gospel. Right. Yeah. Because I'm preaching Mark's gospel. Yep. And uh R. T. France and James Edwards and uh Sinclair Ferguson and and a whole bunch of uh writers. It, it you know, very helpful. You yeah. Know, I, I benefit like all all preachers do from commentaries. But uh, in terms of sort of books with one argument, you know, uh, uh, I I'm re-re- I reread The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey. Oh, nice. Let me read you one quote. Dude. Yeah. I, I marked this before I came. I, I love this quote. I always think it's from another book. Um, and uh, it would have been nice if uh, it stayed on my screen. Um, <laughs> and always now, happens. Now I can't. Fine. Let me go back. Well, while you're while you're looking at that, um, you know, one of the other ones that I've been kind of digging on uh, is the reason for God. Again, not a new one. By I've Tim read it Keller. before. Yep. Right. Yeah. But uh, rereading it, uh, this is actually a book that is taught in our curriculum at school. I love the way Keller he's he's done his homework. Yes. You know, he he Manhattan, his church is right there. He's with all the modern thinkers. He's with all the modern. Um, you know, progressives, like all of these things, like he's right in the middle of all of this. And he's, he's sat down and he's had these conversations with these people and all of his writings stem from these conversations. This is apologetics at its finest, right? These are, these are the questions that people are asking about the faith and he's answering them. And that's, that's apologetics in its purest form. Well, let me add to that, dude, just to what you're saying, what, what I'm fat, that's not a terribly old book. It less than 20 years. Yeah. I used yeah. it when it was pretty fresh when I taught it, your school mm-hmm. many, many, uh, moons ago. Now, um, Keller says he's had a hand in founding. It's been named after him and Tim Keller, you know, has been battling, uh, pancreatic yeah, cancer. He's yeah. passed, uh, many years. Um, but they founded something called the Cultural Center, the Tim Keller Cultural Center for Apologetics. If you want to check that out, any of our listeners, just Google search Tim Keller Cultural Apologetics Center. Look for a YouTube video where they promote it. His explanation of how 
what it means to represent Jesus to people today outside of the faith. Yeah. Where he said, well, I don't want to give it away. It's about three minutes. It's gold. Yeah. Uh, but he would even say that book uh, still holds up. Uh, yeah. He feels good. But there are some things. Yeah. Culture's changed so much, even in the last 20 years. Yeah. That he didn't address. Yep. That apologetics is an ongoing work. Yes. Of always thinking, how does my faith intersect with this point in time? Yeah. That's the responsibility of every individual Christian, and he's just such a clear biblical thinker. Yeah. I I I love it. Uh, I found the quote. Okay. Too. There's, there's yeah, two. <clears throat> I'll read it pretty uh, uh, quickly. Uh, these are both from the Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey. Uh, here's his commentary on Jesus preaching, the mm-hmm. Sermon on the Mount in particular. Thunderously, inarguably, the Sermon on the Mount proves that before God, we all stand on level ground. Murderers and temper throwers, adulterers and lusters, thieves and coveters. We are all desperate, and that is, in fact, the only state appropriate to a human being who wants to know God. Having fallen from the absolute ideal, we have nowhere to land but in the safety net of absolute grace. Mm. Just a That's good. great quote. That's and good. then this very short one. It just says, in a nutshell, the Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22 tells the story of a God reckless with desire to get his family back. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. Love it. Just some just some great nuggets that come yeah. out of uh, that book. So I, I go back to that one a lot. I just, a lot of people like, what's so amazing about grace and that's that's a solid book. Mm-hmm. Uh, believe me. I I like the Jesus I never knew, which for whatever reason, in my mind is even more about grace. Yeah, probably because it's about Jesus. Yeah, uh, and the grace treatment is a little more theological. Uh, the just observing Jesus. Yeah, you just see the grace. It's so clear. The other one, dude, that I just started uh, two days ago, um, and I might not get it done before Easter because we're getting close. But it's kind of a commitment I've. I'd say eight out of ten Easter seasons, I re- reread John Stott's The Cross of Christ. Oh, nice. Yeah. Dude, unbelievable. Yeah. It's fresh to me every time. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't more highly recommend yeah. that book. I mean, Stott's, he deals with the cross on an historical level, yep. on a devotional level. He handles some pretty weighty theological concepts in very clear scripturally sound um uh arguments it, it's 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 a a weighty book but it's not an inaccessible book yeah like i'm looking on the bookshelf there and seminary books i had uh gerhardus vaz biblical theology is right behind you dude um it man yeah it's good it's tough yeah i mean i i looked at it recently because one of our elders ryle is a seminary student. He was talking about it. So I pulled it out and I said, Lord, thank you that I'm not reading this book right, right now. <laughs> and God, I, there's probably, he was a Dutch theologian, so yeah. it's translated. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The work you have to do yeah. to get some things out of it. And I'm not saying it's not worth it. Sure. But most people yeah. don't have the time. Yeah. Don't have the capacity. So Yancey is a little more devotional. Yep. Stott's a little more expositional theological but it's really really yeah no that's great i mean we've talked about this before one of the books uh probably for the i I would say for the past decade that i'd read consistently during this time of the year uh john piper's 50 reasons why jesus came to die 
Um, love that book, but actually it's, it's been replaced, uh, at least temporarily by yep. your book. Um, cause we're going through that oh, as my goodness, dude. Uh, the church, uh, our church is going through that one together. Yep. And so, um, that now, when is, you say replaced, dude, do, do, do they run out of Charmin at Walgreens? <laughs> oh, oh, you mean for reading, dude, I was confused. Uh, I, I was confused. I said, do you need to line like a bird it's cage the pandemic or, all uh, over again? <laughs> <laughs> dude i can picture you going, joy don't worry i got a whole stack of dungeon books we, although we, that wouldn't last me yeah. too long man <laughs> no, <they're not. laughs> that would get you through a four-day weekend right and say oh my goodness nathan that is funny dude see look at you trying to give me a nice shout out That's of right. course i gotta deflect because it's too embarrassing dude you just yeah i replaced john piper with your book i was like yeah don't don't do that dude just don't. just for this year because i yeah. know as a uh as a church together, we've committed to reading that together. Yeah, so that's, yeah. uh, that's you know, so I've taken a break from Piper this year, and we'll probably go back to him next year. Oh, yeah, but, no. That's, um, that's you know, doing that together as a church, I think, is great because that's where we are, too. I mean, yeah. you're preaching through the Gospel of Mark. Oh, yeah. And so being able to do that um, and work through that as, as our church body and then, you know, seeing where you fall in your sermons yeah. with the devotionals, it's just been a great total experience oh and so, i'm so glad nathan um you no, know that's it was been wonderful writing it was a really good experience mm-hmm. because it i kind of had a an easter focus yeah much sooner than i usually have yeah because i really do like to take some time and i mean not that we shouldn't do it all the time right to really ponder those uh those days leading up to uh his arrival in jerusalem and what he accomplished there for yeah. us out of love uh, so, you know, doing a lot of that in December and January this yep. year to prepare. And uh, there was a time, too, I thought I was telling Stephen Smith, who kind of handled the, the uh, helped me with the edits and the framing and the, you know, artwork and, and all that stuff that we did uh, to get it published. Uh, I told him at one point, I think we could do this as a 30-day devotional. What about a 20-day? Right. Um, but it was, no, it was a really good experience. Yeah. Because I'm just, you know, I walked, I, like I said, I used, um, like an ESV, Harmony of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. So I had a general path for it. Okay, I know that on the Sunday before Easter, I want to talk about yeah. Palm Sunday. Yeah. So that last week, which we'll be getting to here, you know, yeah. maybe, what, another week, week and a half? Sooner, yeah. So, uh, we, um, you know, you're, you're in that last week. Yes. You know, all the way up to Easter morning. Yep. So I appreciate that, dude. I, uh, it was enjoyable. Good, um, and I already said yeah, and I won't do one next year. Um, <laughs> we'll just recycle this one. That's right. Yeah. You know what we should do? Just give it a new, uh, a new, new title, title. And see if anybody remembers. <laughs> I even wouldn't. Oh man, too funny, dude. Well, we are uh, we are running out of time here. Yeah, so. dude, I've enjoyed this. Just dude, yeah. It, you know, if you think about it, we've talked about everything from Star Wars books, yeah. fan fiction, to oh my goodness, Tolkien, yeah, to the cross, yeah. Um. And, dude, it's just, I know it sounds a bit of a cliche, but there is that all truth is God's right. truth. And when we look at Scripture, we know we get nothing but all pure truth. Yes. Uh, and then we can go concentric circles out. You can yes. look at some books that are very closely tied into Scripture. But, dude, you can be reading, right, a Star Wars fan yeah. fiction piece. And that's what I love about the beauty of our faith. Yes. Right? There's something there that connects. Yes. Yes. Because the story's imprinted on us all. Yes. And all the things we've seen, dude, 
all the heroes that step yep. up in the Star Wars world, all the villains that seek to oppose the hero. Yeah. Usually the theme of what? Self-sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I mean, what? Why? Why do these keep turning up in so many stories? Yeah. It's because yeah, it's imprinted it's, on. It's us. the great truth. I mean, it is again, and we're made for it. Yeah. So I think we we create these little imperfect, broken replicas. Yeah. And then you hear the oh, that's what that that's, that's what, what we yeah. need. Yep. It's beautiful. Well, I mean, that's again, I go, you know, I've mentioned it before. Say this is this is what Tolkien the arguments that Tolkien used on Lewis, right? Yep. When Lewis was an atheist and, and vowed he would never convert. Tolkien used Lewis's love of mythology yep. and just pointed, look, look at all of these lesser truths, yep. right? These gods that come down and how they interact, how imperfect they are. Let's let's look at the true yes. myth. Let's look at the true myth. The let's true look myth. at Jesus. Yes. Um and so, you know, that I mean, that's what ultimately convinced Lewis that th- this there is something to this. Like, you know, you do not have all these stories. And Lewis even writes about that. Uh, we, we get tastes of that in The Abolition of Man, right? Yeah. He His appendix. That's you know, you look book. through the appendix oh, yeah. and just all the things that connect, yep. all the ways in which culture um, intertwines that cannot be random quick thought dude that appendix yeah. you're not kidding the in the abolition of man which he calls he kind of uses the concept of the Tao. yeah uh but not in an eastern mystical way almost of a universal yeah set of assumptions laws yeah. moral codes and shows in ancient babylonian religion yep. hammurabi's code Egyptian mythology, Greek mythology, Norse mythology, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. Yep. There are, where did these things come from? Yeah. These basic default level, this is good, this yes. is not good. Yeah. Why is it that for the most part, adultery has been shunned universally yes. in these places that are as different as night and day. Yeah. Religious backgrounds and stuff. Yeah. Uh, the abolition of man. Yeah. The book itself is great. Yep. Uh, but that appendix, that appendix is, yeah. is just a tool that I still use yep. in 2023. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> nice. All right, man. Well, we are going to go ahead and sign off until the next time. We just rock the Casbah. Thank you again for listening to these go to 11 and unchurchy conversation about everyday faith. Once again, please make sure you like, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you ever find yourself in the Forest Hill, Maryland area, please feel free to stop by at 135 Industry Lane, and you can get all of our service times and information at ChristFC.org. These go to 11.